in Jesus' name and through his blood, I just thank you for this time that we can come together. We thank you, Lord, for this place. And Lord, we just thank you for an open heaven, your glory here, Holy Spirit, to come and anoint and empower this time. And I thank you, Lord, for speaking through me everything that needs to go forth under a mighty anointing. And even now that the Holy Spirit is moving upon the people, giving us good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives that it will be receptive and open to the Word of God. I thank you, Lord, for eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, that the eyes of our hearts be enlightened, that there'll be revelation, knowledge, and power. And Lord, I thank you for speaking through me. Everything needs to be said. And we submit this time unto you. We know the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So Lord, we take authority. We bind anything that would try to hinder, distract, resist, oppress, in any way hinder this from getting where it's supposed to and accomplishing what it's supposed to. We commit to be bound in Jesus' name and go right now from this place and everyone that's going to be hearing this in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for your angels just getting rid of that and just clearing away any hindrance. And the winds of your spirit carrying this where it needs to go in Jesus' name. All right. So as we enter in tonight, this is a little bit different word. Um, not really in the flow of what I've been preaching on with the paranormal series, which I'll continue, God willing, next week and until completion. I, I plan on getting into some things uh, even beyond that that'll be at the end of it with like blood covenant and um, things to do. But I'm talking about the blood covenant that God has cut with us. And not only that, but also uh, the places Jesus shed his blood, things like that. But tonight, I want to deal more with this particular sermon, which I feel is kind of dovetailing from last week with Brother Benny. Wasn't that a powerful word about tares? It was just excellent. And so we're going to look at that tonight. Um, but anyway, just give me your best ear, because this sermon I'm sharing tonight is straight from the Lord. It, he kind of put a pause on everything to give me this for you, and I feel like it's a very important word. Um, anyway, so let me open with this. So John and Carol Arnott have seen a great move of God in Toronto back, it started in 94, and in many ways is still continuing today. And a few years ago, the Lord gave Carol a really powerful dream and, you know, even back in the 80s, there were prophetic people that saw that there was coming a great wave of the Holy Spirit, but they saw that that particular wave would not be the final wave, but rather it would help bring in a harvest and, and do a work in people, but then there would come a much bigger wave after that, and those, those that had been touched in the previous wave would be used in the last wave. And, the, that's, and we know the 90s was the first wave, okay? So there's about to be another wave. And I personally believe, it's just my opinion, that this will be far greater as far as the anointing and the presence of God. But, it, you know, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I suspect that it's going to be a combination, if, if you will, of every great revival, because this is going to be kind of the last great move that's going to get us ready to meet the Lord in the air. So there's going to be an intensity in it of, of people to get saved. There's going to, it's always the heartbeat of great revival, and that's really the focus. But in that, I believe there's going to be tremendous healings and miracles. But I believe in this revival, my personal feeling is, is there'll be a great move of deliverance because it'll set people free. 
that's part of the cleansing to get us ready to meet the Lord in the air. And I believe that people will be filled and baptized in the Holy Ghost. Obviously, that's the extra oil, um, you know, the wise virgins with extra oil. So how many knows this is a good time to start buying extra oil, right? Get ready to meet the Lord in the air. But I believe that there's about to be another move. And in this dream that Carol had, she said the Holy Spirit and the dream just came, and she was kind of in a whirlwind. But while she's in this whirlwind, the glory of God was descending in the place where she was at. And she knew that in this particular move of God, the glory was coming in such a way, with such intensity, that there wasn't going to be any of this playing around any longer. That, that people were either going to get serious with God and repent of their sin, or it could be, like, serious for them. Uh, kind of like we read about in the Bible, you know, where people that played games and then they end up dead or under judgment or something. She said it was, it was very serious. And when the glory started coming in, she yelled for people to come down and get rid of all their secret sins, all the games, everything they were playing around, to come down and repent and get things right with God. But she said, if you're not willing to do that, she said, you better run because it's coming and it will come against you. And people, some people got up and ran out of the building for their life. But many, many others ran down and repented and got everything right. And she said, the glory was amazing. So <clears throat> that's kind of what I suspect. And this is going to be the last great revival that's going to usher in the rapture, but I don't think it's going to be just fun and games. I mean, for those that repent, it's going to be wonderful and exciting and awesome and all that, but people that are playing around, it's, it could be bad. You know what I'm saying? How many knows that God's merciful and gracious, but at the same time, this uh, sloppy grace stuff and this uh, hypocrisy and, and playing games and all that, how many knows that he's only going to put up with that for so long? And eventually, he's, he's going to draw a line in the sand and say, choose you this day who your God's going to be. If I'm your God, then get things right. If not, then you need to move on. You know, the Bible says, <clears throat> I would rather you be um, hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. So I believe what she saw was the Lord coming in such a way to deal with lukewarmness. Either people are going to get on fire or they're just going to run away in coldness, and that's it. There's no more middle ground. All right, so with that said, I'm going to share some things tonight. Ephesians 1.15, it says this, For this reason I too, having heard of, of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, I don't want to rabbit trail, but there's the sevenfold aspect of the Holy Spirit. When he comes in his fullness, Isaiah revealed him as the Spirit of the Lord, but wisdom, revelation, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord, which I believe is what Carol saw. She saw the glory coming in with a holy reverential fear. That was a good thing. It's time to clean house. Now, 
with that, though, he said here, Paul said that God give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, that's interesting. And it goes on to say, in the knowledge of him, and look at this, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Kenneth Hagin used to teach that means flooded with light. So God would give you enlightenment, the eyes that some kind of revelation will come into our eyes that we can see things. He says, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe. So there's, there's an aspect here that Paul was praying for the church in Ephesus that God would help them to have wisdom and revelation. And in that, he said their eyes would be enlightened to be able to see things. See, for us to see things, how many knows God has to show us? It's, it's not just something that's taught and it's just an intellectual agreement alone. There is a dimension here where the Holy Spirit reveals things to us that we couldn't see on our own in our own humanity. And really, to be quite honest, is somewhat beyond us. But the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. And then 1 John 1, 6 says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I love this scripture. It says, but if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So as we're walking in the light, as he's in the light, the Lord will reveal to us things. One of the things he'll reveal to us is the places in our lives that we need to repent of. That's what it means here. We're walking with him in the light as he's in the light. And so in that, he can show us things that we need to see, and then the blood of his son cleanses us from those things. Does that make sense? But it requires us being in the light. Those that want to have secret sin and go off in darkness... They're not getting the revelation they need. All right, and then 2 Corinthians 13, 14. So how do we receive revelation? How do we walk in the light? Because God the Father is in heaven, and the Son, he's, he's the great high priest, the one who ever lives to make intercession. He's at the right hand of the Father. So what we need to understand here is we need to have a good, healthy understanding of the Holy Spirit. He is the best friend you've got in this life. He's the one who lives inside of us. He is the one who's with us, and he's the one that will teach us all things. Jesus said, it's actually better that I go because I'll send the, the comforter, and, or you could say in the Greek, the counselor. But he's the one that will lead you in all truth. He'll even show you things to come in the future but nonetheless, Jesus said he'll take of what I've taught you and he'll help you understand it, is what Jesus was saying, if I could paraphrase it. So the Holy Spirit is the one that helps us understand the Bible. He's the one who's with us to convict us when we're wrong. He's the one that's with us, the light shining in our lives that we can understand the places we need to understand in our lives to deal with, to get things right with God. So with that said... I'm sharing a few things tonight. I wanted to open with that from Carol Arnott because I felt that that was important. Um, in connection with this sermon, I feel like it's important. And I feel that it's important
for River of Life. Sometimes these type of sermons that God gives me for you, I don't always put them out for public consumption because I feel it's for the church. But I may put this one out for others because I feel like it will help people. But this is, this is really for River of Life. This is for us, okay? Now, here's a lesson. I want you, if you would, to please just give me your best ear and, and don't read or anything or take notes right now. Just look this way. Give me your best ear. Years ago, I got saved in January 95. God saved me out of a lot of sin. And in those early years, 96, 97, uh, really up until 2000, I was very young in the Lord. You know, I was a ba- still a baby Christian. I was growing. And God had touched my life really powerfully in the, in the 90s revivals. And in a few places, God kind of used me um, to help out in churches in different capacities, worship, help with young people, things that a lot of times young men that are young in the Lord do, as I myself was still growing in the Lord. But I did a lot of street evangelism. I had a real heart for that, and I still do. But as I remember one time, this particular church would have me preach on Sunday nights sometimes. And this was in the days in the 90s revivals, and God was really moving. And I had come out of so much stuff in my past and, and just a lot of hurt, a lot of difficult stuff. I myself was still overcoming and, and God doing a work in me. But I remember I, I was at this church and I was there in the sanctuary praying by myself. That evening there was going to be a service. I was supposed to be preaching. And I was praying over the meeting that God really brought his spirit and moved powerfully and touched people, etc., etc. You get the idea. And what the Lord spoke to me really changed my life, but it had not been in my mind. I would have never thought of this, and I didn't realize until God spoke to me. But he interrupted my prayer, and he said this. He said, why do you want me to pour out my spirit? And it just kind of jolted me because I wasn't expecting him to say that or even interrupt me. Like, but he said, Why? And that got me thinking, because I never, I never thought about this in my life. I never thought about my motives. I just, you know, that's the thing that I prayed. I mean, it just got part of the spirit. But as I started thinking about it, I started realizing that really my motives were more selfish and like wanting God to validate me, my ministry, and what was going to be going on, would refl- how it would reflect on me. I never really thought about that. And so I started realizing, wait a second, my motives are not right here. It should be God to pour out his spirit so he get the glory. But my motives, I didn't really think about it or realize it, but my motives were that I would kind of get the glory a little bit, you see. And so I asked God to forgive me. It's not something I'd ever even thought about or realized at that time, but God began to teach me about my motives right off the bat. I was a baby Christian. I I was brand new to the ministry, and this was something, if I had to guess, I was probably, I got saved in 95, I was 19, I was probably early 20s, 21, 22, and I'm here ministering, and, and God, right off the bat, if I could paraphrase, God was trying to show me If your motives are not right, then things are going to get off 
and it's going to end up destroying you down the road. You've got to get your motives right. Why are you asking me for the things you're asking me? And shortly after that, God brought a book in my life by Rick Joyner called The Final Quest. And I read that book, and that, that really brought home the understanding of what God was trying to teach me. And I wish that more out there would read that book and really deal with these issues of motives because um, when I was in Bible school, that's the overwhelming majority of what I saw was people wanting to climb ladders, meet the right people, make a name for themselves, build a ministry for themselves. And I hate to say it, but the overwhelming majority of what I saw was people wanting to make um, for their name and their fame and their glory. And they didn't realize it, just like I didn't. You know, I, and I never really got caught up with that. I didn't care for it. But still, it, the Lord still had to check me there. Because I wasn't in the climbing ladders and trying to make a name and all that. But still, there was that subtle issue that God dealt with early on. And so that lesson affected me now the rest of my life. Because I don't, I don't pray about the outpouring of, any, of the Holy Spirit or anything God does any longer. It has nothing to do with me, but that he would be glorified. Amen? So when we have the right motives, I believe that God can do great things. So let me move on to kind of what God was showing me here. I think studying church history and revival history, you can see that people that sometimes began to have what man would call success, but yet it ended up destroying them. Because pride comes before, actually it says destruction, and a haughty spirit before fall. But I'm, I'm going to share a lot of different things tonight. I, I just want to be led by the Holy Spirit about this. But we've got to be really careful because sometimes, you remember Brother John was here? Now, that's one of the things that I really admire about Brother John. And I believe that's why God brought him in my life because he's the same way. Uh, he just wants God to move and get all the glory. And that's something, too, in this book that you guys are going through, the ladies, if you paid attention to it, William Seymour didn't want anybody to get the glory but God. Remember that? And Evan Roberts wanted to keep man's hands off of it, okay, uh, or vice versa. But nonetheless, that was the big thing, keep man's control off the revival and make sure God got all the glory. You didn't want man to get the glory. And Brother John's really big on that, and I really love and appreciate that about him. And we've talked about these things. All right, so... One of the people that really I admire in the Bible is the prophet Samuel. You have to think about Samuel's life a little bit, maybe differently than what we've thought about it. He was this young guy. He had a supernatural birth. His mother shouldn't have been able to get pregnant, but God allowed it. And um, Samuel was dedicated, given to the Lord. Now, Eli was the, was the judge of Israel. He's the high priest, but he was the judge of Israel, just like Gideon was and later Samuel and the problem with, with Eli, I believe God loved Eli, and I believe that Eli was actually, in many ways, a powerful man of God. A lot of people are kind of hard on Eli as they read the Bible. 
I don't think that Eli was corrupt. I think he had a good heart. But his sons were corrupt. And the problem was, was that when he died, they were going to, one of them was going to be the high priest. That was the problem. And God wanted Eli to kick them out of the priesthood, period, that they're just gone. And see, I believe that God would have worked it out from that point, but Eli would not do it. And so God had to judge him and his sons and, and basically put him to death. But whenever Eli died, Samuel, now Samuel had come in as a very young man, and if you read the story of Samuel, he, he apparently loved God's presence because Samuel would sleep in there in the holy place, maybe the holy of holies, but it says by the ark. So that could have been the holy of holies, but I suspect that he slept up against the curtain, which was only a few feet from the ark, and he could still see the menorah that was lit, you know, and, and he could still smell the incense, but he loved God's presence. And Samuel would just rest in the presence of God. And he, he loved the Lord. And in that place, God began to speak to Samuel when he was still young. And he prophesied, he told Samuel, and Samuel began to operate in the prophetic, but he told Samuel that he was going to bring judgment on Eli and his, his family. So as Samuel grew up, he was a man of prayer. He was also somebody that loved the presence and would just kind of soak in the glory. He spent time in the presence. But Samuel also was learning to hear from God and develop that prophetic in his life, in the presence of God. And as Samuel grew, he began to be more and more accurate. And the Bible says his words didn't fall to the ground, meaning that they came to pass. So later on in life, Samuel was the last judge. You read the book of Judges? you had all these different ones like Samson and Barak and all these and Eli and then the last judge would have been Samuel now, if you follow me for a moment just please please hear me tonight so Samuel was the last judge he obviously must have had some priest blood in him um, he also was a prophet no doubt about it but Samuel had had also seen God's judgment against the wicked, against Eli and his house. And you know, just like some of my experiences, I'm sharing one tonight, but you know that that affected the rest of his life. You know it did. He saw how God was not going to put up with wickedness in spiritual leaders. And Samuel really, he lived a righteous life before God. But Samuel had the ability to really have sharp, clear vision from God. And whenever the, the children of Israel said to, to Samuel, they said that your sons don't follow God like you do, so give us a king. Remember this? Some of you guys have read this. First and second Samuel, I encourage you to really read those again. They're very powerful books, the Bible. But first and second Samuel. So the, the people of Israel, God was supposed to be their great king, their provider. And God himself would raise up somebody as a leader, like Samuel, who was a prophet and a judge, and God would use those type of people, okay? 
when the children of Israel came to Samuel and said, give us a king like other nations, that probably rubbed Samuel the wrong way a little bit because he's thinking, well, God has, is using me as a judge here. Why do you need a king? And so Samuel prayed about it, and God spoke to Samuel and said, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. He said, they're rejecting me. And listen to what, listen to this. This is scary. God said, you know what? Give them what they want then. Now read the rest of the narrative, okay? What was one of the greatest problems Israel had the entire history was wicked kings that led them into worshiping Baal, etc. Ultimately, into Assyrian captivity and Babylonian captivity. So this was, is everybody following me tonight? This was a mistake here. This was people, but let me just warn you about this. Be careful because if we keep on with God saying, well, we want this, we want you to give us this, God may very well say, you know what? That's not my plan, but you know, you want it, here you go. And that may be the very thing that's a thorn in our side. Wouldn't it not be better to say, Lord, we have this problem here, but what is your solution? Because Israel decided they wanted a king. So God gave Israel exactly what they wanted. God knew what their flesh wanted, what they wanted. And so God picked Saul, who was a head taller than everybody, handsome. Everything about him outwardly looked like a king, and it's exactly what Israel wanted. And God gave them what they wanted, but Saul ended up being a wicked king. And before he died, he was rebellious to the point of even going to a witch. And um, God had to have him... Uh, you know, killed in battle with the Philistines. You think about people in the Bible that kind of also made these type of mistakes. I mean, this is not the best example, but I, I do think about Abraham. God said, I'm going to give you, make you the father of nations. And Sarah says, well, you know, we're old. Maybe we need to help God. I'll give you Hagar. And what happened? They birthed an Ishmael. And then it, nothing really overly positive came from that. Abraham ended up having to send him away. It broke Abraham's heart because he loved Ishmael, his son. But he had to send him away, away from Miocene. Why? Because he was doing something that was really not the will of God here. So God said, you know what? They've rejected me as their king, and they don't want to do it my way where I raise up a leader and anoint them and use them. They want a king like other nations? All right, fine, I'll give it to them. What well, ended up being a problem. But God, in his great mercy and love, he looked down and saw Israel, the situation they're in, and he decides to give them, though, a good king. And so God raised up David. But the reason why I'm sharing this is because of Samuel's vision. I want you to really catch this. Samuel, God spoke to Samuel whenever Saul refused to obey the word of the Lord and completely annihilate the Amalekites. Remember that? And God spoke through Samuel and said, you've rebelled 
And Samuel said, oh, wait a second, I, I destroyed the city. We just kept some things. And, and, and Samuel rebuked him and said, God told you to kill everything. You didn't do what God said. You're rebellious. Therefore, the kingdom is ripped from you and going to be given to somebody that's got a heart for God. And Saul knew that he really lost out here. And Samuel never spoke to Saul again. He went off and he, he was brokenhearted about the whole thing. And in deep prayer, eventually God spoke to him and said, I want you to go to Bethlehem. And Samuel goes there and, and God told him, I'm going to send you there to anoint a king. Now, when Samuel goes, he simply just obeyed God. What God spoke to him, what God showed him, he would just do it. And God picked Saul, but it was a judgment. Anyway, so then Samuel goes to Bethlehem. And this is kind of the main point I want you to really get tonight. Samuel goes to Bethlehem, and he goes to the house of Jesse, and he says, I'm here to anoint the next king and I want you to bring in your sons. And as he began to bring his sons in, like Saul, they were handsome and everything about them looked like a king. And Samuel thought to himself, well, surely this is the king. But God said, it's not him. Samuel had enough discernment within him. Are y'all following me tonight? That he knew where God's hand was going to end up landing on. He knew. And Samuel, because Samuel had vision from God, he had revelation from God, man will always pick a Saul, but God will always pick a David. And so Samuel, because of his discernment, said it's none of these. They look great, but it's not them. Do you not have another son? He said, well, I do. But, and, they, and nobody would have picked David. I mean, he was the young guy out in the field with a handful of sheep. He was, he was a little insignificant little shepherd boy with a handful of sheep in the backside of a desert playing a harp, singing and praying. Nobody would have picked him. But Samuel had some kind of a discernment about him that he knew when David came, he said, oh, he's the one. But nobody else would have picked him. It had to be by the Holy Spirit that Samuel discerned this. If I could say it this way, kind of marrying together the Old and New Testament together, Samuel's eyes of his heart were enlightened, if you will. Samuel was walking in the light of revelation by the Holy Spirit, that he knew that God was not in this over here, but he was over here in obscurity, and it was the person nobody would have picked. So Jesus also operated like this. Jesus said, I only do what I see my Father doing. How did he see what the Father's doing? It had to be by the Spirit. I only see, I only do what I see my Father doing, I only speak what I hear him speaking. And I believe personally that this was by the Holy Spirit. He was walking in light. He was walking in truth and revelation and walking in the Spirit. And hear what I'm saying here. This is one of the more important things. There's a few things I'm trying to really bring home tonight. 
Because of Jesus, the anointing on Jesus, Jesus functioning in this anointing, man tried to promote him, but it wasn't God. And man was, um, there was a time that people came to Jesus and they tried to make him a king, but Jesus refused it and walked away. How many remember that? Okay, please look this way. Please hear me tonight. These things I'm trying to say, I feel the Holy Spirit is warning us about some things, and, and I'm, I'm being sincere about this. Please don't let this pass you by. So Jesus almost could have missed in a major way what God actually had because man tried to promote Jesus prematurely in, in an ungodly way by not going through the cross Man just wanted to make him a king. Do y'all remember that? And Jesus refused man's promotion because he knew it was not God. Rather than accept man's promotion, Jesus was willing to just do what he saw the Father doing, speak what the Father was speaking, be obedient, and end up in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating blood and saying, if it's your will, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. And I could rabbit trail for a long time about that, but I'm not. But Jesus had to go through the cross, and it was him humbling himself. He rejected the pride of promotion from man to humble himself down to the dirt. And to, I want you to understand the humiliation here. Jesus, who had never done a thing wrong to anybody, never sinned, never even lied, okay, was going to die a criminal's death. The cross was a public execution as a criminal, and they died nude, and it was a shameful, embarrassing, humiliating thing that he was willing to go through. When just a short time before that, man was trying to promote him. He resisted his any human pride to humble himself under the hand of God. And because he humbled himself all the way down to the dirt, the Father ended up raising him up to the highest place, the right hand. Is this making sense? I know that this is kind of deep tonight, but I pray that God help us all enlighten the eyes of our hearts. So my point in some of this is, is that we've got to have God's vision God's discernment like Samuel to know where God actually is moving. Because human pride, we don't mean to, but our humanity is, we can easily pick things that look good on the surface, like a saw. But by the Spirit, we've got to walk in the light and understand that God is rejecting Saul. But God's moving over here in humility with those that, that man would have never picked. And then also Jesus, he had to resist that. You know as well as I do, these were kind of temptations. He was called to be the Messiah, the great king of Israel, you know, uh, on the throne of his father David. It was the calling was there. But he had to resist that pride of the wrong type of promotion and be willing to humble himself all the way down for God to do it. 
Samuel knew to overlook that which is just of the flesh and to anoint that which God picked. Now think about this for a moment. Samuel, Samuel knew by the Spirit this little unknown shepherd in the desert with a handful of sheep was where God was going to place his anointing in the next great revival of Israel. But he could have only known that by the Spirit. Everybody say only by the Spirit. There's no way that Samuel would have known that except the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. And we've got to be careful because a lot of people tend to do this. They get an anointing. God begins to do things. With that, there comes a sense of maybe some notoriety. And it can be very dangerous for people because if they're not careful, pride can start emerging. And then people start prostituting the anointing and what God's doing. They don't mean to, but they start using it for their own name, fame, and glory and self-promotion. And even when God begins to move and it starts becoming more known, you still have to be like Jesus and really pray about things and resist the wrong type of promotion of man that's not God. Are y'all hearing me? Because there's people over there, oh, if we could do this, oh, if we could get you on this show, if we could get your name here and we could do this and open this door and meet this and this networking, we can do this to fundraise and we can do all these things. It's like, well, how about I pray about it and God tell me what he wants to do because that right there may all be you. And there may not be any of it that's God. It may be like Jesus had to resist man's promotion. You're trying to promote you're really, and there's a lot of times, there's a lot of ulterior motives in all of that. There's a lot of, well, we can make money doing this. Y'all hearing me? We can get here. We can do this. We've got to watch out for pride. Now, let me just give you a few more things I feel tonight. One of the things I really wanted to point out is like my lesson that God taught me back in the 90s. I wish I could remember the exact date. I think this was 96 or 97, somewhere early on, I think. But when God spoke that to me, I had never thought about it. I mean, it's not something that like I had thought about and was, and was doing the wrong thing or something. It had never entered my mind. My point in that is this. There's things that God's just going to have to show us that we don't see. You remember what David said when he fell with Bathsheba and all that? He prayed in the Psalms, and he said, Lord, search me and know me and try me and see if there's any wicked way in me. David knew enough to know, God, I don't see it. Help me to see it. Hello? We only know what we know. I remember one preacher saying it's so simple, yet it sounds complicated, but it's not. He says, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> How many knows that we got to have God show us things that we don't know? If we knew it, we wouldn't be doing it. So my point is, is that I encourage this. If you, if you are taking notes, I would encourage people to start praying every day, Lord, search me and know me and show me if there's anything in me that you need to get out of me. Because when revival starts coming and it's about to and things start becoming more 
known and all of that, I, I'm going to tell you, I've just, I've seen some things and I'm trying to be careful, but I, I'm going to go ahead and share some things tonight. So y'all just, if you're writing that down, good, but then please look this way. I know people right now, off the top of my head, I could rattle off at least three, maybe five off the top of my head, down through the last 20-something years. I know people that the hand of God is on their life. There's a calling on them, and they are not even in the ministry today. How does such a thing happen? And I'm going to tell you, like last week, Brother Benny talked about, you know, people want you to tell it like it is until you actually tell it like it is. <laughs> then they don't want you to anymore. Okay, keep that in mind. So um, you remember Jesus did do that. John chapter 6, this is one of those scriptures I've read a lot and meditated on. You know, Jesus, he was going along and all these people, he had fed the 5,000 and now he had moved on and there was this group following him. And think about this for a moment. This, remember now, Jesus said, I do what I see the Father doing. I speak what the Father is speaking. Okay, so keep that in mind. Jesus is walking along and this crowd starts following him. Now, most people, because of human pride, they want the crowd. Everybody hear me tonight. But Jesus turned around to the crowd and, and he said, you're only following me because I fed you. Now, Jesus, growing up Jewish, knew that it is strictly forbidden. Cannibalism and eating blood is strictly forbidden. Everybody would have known that. And Jesus says to them, I tell you what, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll have no part in me. You know as well as I do that there was no way that wasn't going to offend them. It was a deliberate thing to offend them. It had to be. And they got offended, and all of them left. And Jesus didn't go running after them. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have said that. Please come back. He didn't do that. He said, you know, if you're going to go, go. And then he looks at the 12, and he says, are you going to leave too? He didn't say to them, oh, please don't go. No. He says, are you going to go too? And then Peter says, well, where are we going to go? You have the words of life. You're the son of God. I mean, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? In other words, Peter was probably saying something like this. We don't understand what you just said either. But we're still going to stick with you. And I'll tell you probably if I could just kind of interject my thoughts in this. The 12 disciples had, had been with Jesus now, and he spoke in parables. And he would say things all the time that they didn't understand. Y'all follow me? And so they would come to him later in private because I'm sure while he's teaching it, they're all sitting there like, yeah, you know, like we know. But then whenever they get in private, they basically say to Jesus, we don't have a clue what that meant. We, you know, we were putting on a good show out there, but you need to help us understand. And Jesus said to them, he said, well, it's not for them to know these things, but it is for you. And he would explain the parables to them. So I would imagine that since they had walked with him long enough to have gone through that a few times, they probably thought to themselves, well, this is one of those parables we just don't understand. So we're going to stick with you. 
And later on, they understood that Jesus was talking about the communion table and deeper meanings of what that actually means anyway. So I said that to say this. One of the revelations about the wheat and the tares, Brother Benny talked about different things last week, but one of the revelations about the wheat and tares that the enemy sows tares among the wheat is, is false brethren. People that are not of the Lord, but they look just like a Christian. I'm very concerned if I could just be brutally honest with you guys and those, if we put this out for public consumption, those that follow our ministry, I'm very concerned at the type of gospel that's being preached now over the last, I don't know, since around 2010 or so or earlier, um, maybe 2005, something shifted and things begin to change. I'm very concerned at the watered-down type of preaching that's going on and that it is producing a lot of tares among the wheat. Because it's not, there's not enough of the type of preaching that's going to require people to be born again. There's not the type of strong preaching that convicts people of sin where it's, it's like, look, you, if you're the Lord's, then you need to repent. There's not that type of, of preaching going on. And so what you're having is all these people that are kind of joining social clubs. And to be quite honest, some of them have never been born again. They have not repented of their sin, obviously. They, and many of them don't even adhere to the word of God as being the final authority. Some of them believe that there's many ways to God. Are y'all hearing me how serious this actually is? There are tares among the wheat. Could that be why Carol saw the Lord coming the way he was coming? He, he was coming like a final uh, separating the wheat and the tares. Now, let me just give you an illustration because everybody wants, uh, you know, the leader, spiritual leaders to be spiritual leaders until they are. I remember one time, this is an important story, Remember one time there was a young lady that my wife and I met in another city. We were just helping another ministry, and we were, we were praying with some people. But this particular person uh, came in, but the reason that they were there was to, for those people to give this individual a roof over their head and food, etc. pay their bills, etc. And this person kind of came in among the fold, and so people assume this person is saved and a Christian and, and all that, and, and this person began to go to church and all this, yada, yada. Long and short of it, this person continually lived that way the entire time, always looking for people to get to mooch off people, mooch off ministries, give, give them a, a roof over the head, etc. And at the end of the day, right now, as I'm preaching, this person is no longer claiming to be a Christian, it's away from God. I don't think that they ever were. And let me give you the scripture for it. The Bible says that they went out from among us because they were not one of us. And by their departure, they showed that they are not one of us. For if they were one of us, they would have remained with us. But by their going, they show that they are not one of us. Just like the John chapter 6, the people that followed the Lord because he fed them, he was dealing with that right there.
Hello? What is your motive for following the Lord? Are we following him just so we can see what we can get out of it? It's just a social thing. It's a way to have friends. It's a way to have good programs for my kids. You know, or like this individual, it's about mooching off the church for food and needs, etc. Or are we truly born of God? We have God's spiritual DNA and we're willing to die for him. Because I'll tell you something, true Christians aren't just going to get run off because somebody quit paying for their groceries. Hello? So I'm sharing some of these things because I'm kind of going to bring it all together here in a moment. But there's a subtle pride. And that's what, you know, when John Davis was with us last time, do you remember the sermon? He said, we've got to have more than just the presence. And he talked about the danger of pride. Do you remember that? And I I feel like that in my spirit, that we better make sure because we don't know what we don't know. If we have subtle things in us, we need the Lord to reveal it to us and get it out of us. It's like he did me all those years ago about my motives. He's <laughs> interrupting, you believe that? Just interrupting right in the middle of my prayer. Well, why do you want me to do that? I would have never thought of that, but he spoke to me. He said, oh, man. And then I felt really bad. I was like, well, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I was doing that. You know, now I do. And Changed everything, changed my whole life. When your motives change, it changes your whole life. Did you know that one little question from the Lord can literally change your rest of your entire life? Isn't that something? Just one little question. But sometimes there's these subtle issues of pride. Now, I've shared this before, and I really want to take a moment. This is how I'm going to kind of close this, but I don't want to rush it. If you can just give me a little bit longer here. But just like you have like a quarter and it has two sides of the quarter, it's the same quarter. There's two sides of pride. One side of pride is actually very timid and insecure. It's a false humility. Are y'all hearing me? This is actually really important. Because some people that think they're humble aren't humble at all. They're actually full of pride because that timidity, that insecurity, and all of that is not humble. A lot of times what that is is the person is actually focused on themselves instead of the Lord. Consequently, they live insecure and intimidated, and they live in this realm of false humility that's not of God. It's dangerous. I knew this guy one time. There's the other side of the coin, obviously, would be kind of puffed up, arrogant, overconfident, etc. But I knew this guy. True story. There was a group of us that whenever I was under Steve Hill's ministry here in Dallas from 2003 to 6 time frame, this is how all this started here. Anyway, when I was there, I was still very young, and there was a group of us that were uh, around the same age, and we were all friends. A couple of us were married, but most of us were single. I was still single at the time. And, and we were good friends, you know. And Brother Steve sent us, this was the group that went with me to Finland, to give you an idea, because I've told you the story. He sent us out there. It was really powerful. But 
in that group, there was a guy, and he's a real nice guy. I mean, I, I still love him and all that, but I'm telling you this story because it's, I remember seeing this. He was one of these type guys that was kind of insecure, intimidated. He was a little bit timid. The type that just kind of wanted to stay behind the camera and take the pictures and the videos. He didn't, he didn't really want to do anything. You know, he was kind of a little bit shy, if you will, insecure. And um, when we were there in Finland, there was so many people to pray for. He just, you know, we had to have him out there helping us pray. So he was out there praying. God really used him. But there, there was just something of a false humility there. Later on, one of the leaders had come up to him. Now, he had volunteered his time to take photos and videos on his own. I mean, he wasn't anything paid staff or anything like that. He was just somebody who went to church there. But he did it as a hobby, and, and he would, he'd been doing this for a long time. I, but one of the leaders just told him, you know, hey, we need this by next week, and just left it at that. We need these photos and things that you were doing by this weekend or whatever. Well, for whatever reason, this was what triggered him. And I, I was there when all this happened. <laughs> this guy, he went from one side of the coin to the other side of the coin. I mean, like that, because it's the spirit of pride either way. It's the, but he went from this timid, insecure little thing to being arrogant, quick. I saw a personality change. He took offense at that. And um, wow, it, he was a totally different person. Now, see, when we're really humble, our eyes are on the Lord. We're not looking at ourselves. How many knows that's the key right there? We're not looking at ourselves. We're not really caring what other people think. That's why I'm free in my worship, because I just don't care what other people think. Lost that a long time ago. And you're just free. You just don't think about yourself, what you look like. What did Steve Hill just say in that video I posted? He said, if you're hungry for God, he said, you're willing to look like a fool in the eyes of your peers to be embraced in the arms of God. That's the truth. So you're, when you're humble, you don't care what other people think. You don't, you're not looking at yourself. You don't care if other people are looking at you. You are just hungry for God. And when you're really humble like that, how many knows there's a Holy Ghost boldness that comes? And see, true humility, people are bold, they're confident, they're secure, their, their faith is in God, and, and their attitude is, look, I can't do anything but with God. God can do anything. And so I believe him. And if he's got, given me something to say, I'm going to say it with boldness. There's a boldness. But see, with the spirit of pride, there is a fake boldness where somebody goes from that insecurity and they go over to great pride, arrogance, overconfidence. And listen to what I'm saying. They're, they become brazen. See, being brazen is a counterfeit boldness. This guy got so arrogant, he began to speak against the leadership there at that church. He began to try to get a following unto himself and take them with him out. There was a particular ministry that wasn't with this church, but it's a nationally known ministry that he was somewhat connected to 
but they did a whole lot of evangelism. And they did some teaching on it, and they're, they're good. I, I love their ministry. But now, all of a sudden, this guy is so much smarter than all of them. He's critiquing what they say. He could do a better job teaching how to do this. It got so bad that there was actually an issue um, where there was, I'm trying to be careful what I say, but there was an issue where an individual had gotten into some sin, but it wasn't anything that was real serious. But anyway, he felt by the letter of the law, based on some scripture he found, that they need to be basically publicly humiliated in front of thousands of people. And the pastor wasn't going to do that. And so listen to this. He stood up in the middle of church and started yelling and screaming about it. That he had to be escorted out. And then we were, you got to understand, we were buddies for a while. And so finally I told him, I said, hey, man, look, I said, you need to calm down. Uh, And I tried to talk to him about pride. And you know what he did? He turned the whole thing back on me like I was the prideful one, the arrogant one. And I was like, man, I washed my hands of this, and I haven't talked to him since. And that's probably been like 2006 or seven. and this series has been, or this sermon's being preached in 2021. I don't know whatever became of him. But the devil really stepped into his life through pride. We've got to be careful with pride. Pride is something that's subtle. Or one preacher say that, you know, it's, it's like bad breath. Everybody else knows you got pride but you, right? But it's, it's one of those things. Pride, when somebody gets full of pride, they won't receive correction. This is the issue I've had sometimes where I really wanted to help somebody and try to talk to them. But something would rise up within them and would just and form this wall, and there was no getting through that. I mean, there was no way. Um, Pride will not receive correction. Pride causes people to not listen, and pride leads to great rebellion. So there's two sides of this coin. One is we can be overconfident. We can be presumptuous. And let me say this, too, about pride here. You remember I told you Derek Prince said that a lot of people don't understand what he meant. Some guy came to Derek Prince and said, hey, I'm going to start a church. And Derek said, well, you, you arrogant little thing, you. A lot of people don't get that. How many knows that? See, even people that I'm talking to, I don't think a lot of people get that. Who are we to think that we're going to start something? This, God has to start a church and put it on somebody's heart. It has to be led by God. And that's what Derek was trying to say. But see, a lot of people just try to do stuff because they think it's a good idea. Okay, here's the problem with pride. All throughout this nation and around the world, I hope you guys can really get this. God spoke to me. I'm sharing something a little bit vulnerable here. God spoke to me another thing one time. He spoke to me and said, Scott, you you will not be able to fulfill what I've called you to do unless you look at Catherine Kuhlman's example. I couldn't believe he said that. I was like, okay, what does that even mean? You can ask my wife. He's told me stuff that I honestly don't even, I, he's told me a word before that more than once, I didn't even know what the word meant. I had to go to the dictionary and look it up 
But I think that he's doing that to get me to really start searching this thing out. You know, he doesn't give you a paragraph a lot of times. He just gives you a little sentence like that. And so I'm sitting there trying to think about, well, what did Catherine do? What did she not do? What does he mean by that? For years, I mean, this was a long time ago he told me this. I thought about it. I finally, after years, figured out what he meant. I'm going to share it with you. See, the problem is, I know, I know a guy right now, and I'm hoping this will all make sense as I bring it all together. I know a guy right now that Brother Benny and I were talking about this because he happens to know this individual too, that there's an insecurity. You see, you've got to be careful with this insecure. And people, people that tend to be insecure are kind of easily offended. Um, and if you're not careful, you can get an attitude like, I cannot do this attitude. Y'all, y'all, please hear me tonight. Look this way. Have you ever read the scripture where God told Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and say this? And Moses said, well, I'm slow of speech. I, I can't. Have you ever read the scripture where it says God burned with anger? See, when I was younger in the Lord, I thought, well, why did he get so mad at Moses? I mean, he has a stuttering problem, man. It's not like he... But then I started understanding how arrogant that was. Moses was, wasn't just saying, I can't do it. He didn't probably mean it this way, but he was basically saying, we can't do it. Um, God got angry with that because God wanted Moses to know, look, Moses, you can't do this if your life depended on it. I just need you to go there and tell the guy what I say. And you know what? I'll do the rest. You know, I wonder how many places all across this world, churches, ministries, gatherings of different kinds, that all of it is so rooted in pride and they don't even know it. They don't need the Lord to show up next service. They've got it. They're totally fine without him. They'll still put on a good program. In fact, I will go so far as to say some of them don't, probably don't want him to show up because he would mess up their little show. Do we really understand how full of pride we all can be? People think to themselves, I got this. Let me tell you something. Be careful with both insecurity and pride. Insecurity is where we feel like God's leading us to do something and it really is him. We better make sure we've heard from him and not pull like an Ishmael type of thing. But when God is leading us, it is so incredibly arrogant to think that I cannot do this. Of course you can't do it. If you could do it, everybody would be in trouble. No, you can't do it. You need to depend on him because he can do it. He's just looking for us to humble ourselves and be vessels, and then when he does do it, we give him the glory. See, there's a lot of pride here that people don't see. And then if we're not careful, it goes to the other side of the coin where we start thinking, oh, we got this. We can do this, really. That's where a lot of things are all across this nation, around the world. The problem is, is either you've got insecure people that feel like that they can't do something or you've got overconfident people that, hey, we got this and they do it without God all the time. What God was saying to me was, Catherine Kuhlman, she didn't have a plan B. 
If God didn't show up, everybody would just go home. That's just the truth. She totally, completely depended on the Holy Spirit to show up or the meeting was an utter failure and everybody would have known it. She didn't have a plan B. You understand that? That's what God meant by that. Her example was that I was going to have to depend on the Holy Spirit, that he was going to have to do it. And there's a few other things God shared with me down through the years. But I've learned a long time ago that I cannot have any fear or timidity. A lot of counterfeit revelation comes from people out of fear and timidity. But legalism, that's dangerous. Did you know Galatians, Paul wrote the book of Galatians dealing with legalism. And he said, who has bewitched you? There's an element, those that understand witchcraft, a lot of people don't, but those that understand it from a biblical perspective, there is a witchcraft about legalism. But how many knows it's not about fear and do this, don't do that alone. When we walk with God, there's a faith. in. Okay, so let me try to explain what I mean by this. We've got to get this stuff out of us. If there's any legalism, with our walk with God is just about the do's and the don'ts, and that's it. We've got to get that out of us. When we walk with the Lord and we're walking in the light as he's in the light, he'll show us what we need to know. But we've got to be confident in that. I have faith in God to keep me, not faith in the devil to destroy me. Okay, that's fear. People don't mean it, but their fear is actually putting faith in the devil, so to speak. Does that make sense? It's like they've got more confidence, if you will, in the enemy's power to deceive them and destroy them, and they're constantly living in this fear of, well, I gotta, I gotta measure up, and I gotta do this, and not do this, and I, and, and they're always in this fear mode. That is being bewitched by some kind of legalism. Hello. I have faith in God to keep me. I have faith in him to speak to me if something's wrong. I just simply want to walk in the light as he's in the light, and he'll show me what I need to know, and I have faith in him to show it to me. So all this this subtle pride and these subtle fears and these subtle areas of maybe rebellion, we need the Lord to dig this out of us so that things are going to be okay down the road. And I, and I, I love everybody here, but I know from, from past experiences, over 20-something years of ministry, I've preached like this every once in a while when God's led me. Some people hear it, others don't. That's why some of those I'm telling you are not serving the Lord today. Some of them have backslid. They're no longer walking as Christians. They're on their way to hell. Those type people that... Just like Brother Benny, that really ministered to me. Brother Benny said, the seed that you sowed was of God, but the soil. He says, some soil is good and some soil is not good. And we've, I've sown this seed before and it fell into good soil. Some people really heard me. Other people just kind of slipped through it, so to speak, missed it. So there's hidden, undealt with areas in our lives that God's got to deal with. I know people right now that are not in the will of God because of undealt with issues that they did not deal with over a long period of time, and eventually it caught up with them, 
and now they're completely out of the will of God for their life. This is one of those things only God can show us. We don't know if there's pride. We don't know if there's, there's the type of fears that's not good or, or legalism or other areas. We don't really see it, but God can show us. This is the last thing I want to share, but about spiritual warfare. Um, the enemy is invisible. I love this. I heard Perry Stone talking about this. The enemy is invisible, so many don't discern his tactics. Just like right now, I guarantee you that there's angels around here, you just don't see them. And also, I guarantee you when you drive out of here, there's demonic things circling around the city, you just don't see it. So they're invisible to the natural eye. So this story that Perry told, I'm going to share this and then, then we'll pray. Perry told this story back in the 80s. He ministered at this church, and the Holy Spirit was really moving. I shared this video because I really got a lot out of it. So I don't know. Did anybody else see it and know what I'm talking about with the story? A few people. Y'all need to watch pastor's videos when I put them out there, okay? I put them out there for a reason. All right, anyway, so I'll share the story for those that didn't apparently watch it. But anyway, Perry said he was ministering in the 80s, and the Holy Spirit was really moving, and he started having kind of an extended revival. Now, he comes in as an itinerant preacher into a church. And some of the people that were there really loved the revival. And others were, you know, well, all these people were getting saved. And what happened was that there were people that were getting saved out of the drug scene. And the people that were the drug dealers were losing money because all these people were getting saved out of that. And this was going on for a little while. This is a powerful move of God at this church. And he was talking about how petty people are. River of Life, I know you're not this way, but there was people that didn't want the revival anymore. They got tired of all these new people coming in. Now, keep in mind, these are people getting saved. Okay. They were sitting in their seat. They were in their way. They, they didn't like all that, you know, the... The church apparently was, they were using up all the toilet paper and different things and all the. <laughs> I think about it from God's perspective. I mean, God's saving these people and he's got to deal with this petty garbage in Christians, you know. So anyway, they, there was, here's what happened. So some of the drug dealers had talked to themselves that they were going to get rid of this preacher. And they were talking about killing him or whatever. But one of them, this is a true story, and it was verified. One of them knew a guy, and this guy that he knew uh, actually was, a, was in some type of leadership role in the Church of Satan of that city. Which the Church of Satan is not as serious as what people think. That's a whole other thing. But they do worship the devil. And so he started doing some ritual, and he sent a spirit. Now, making a really long story short, Perry, back then... God bless these ministers that were willing to... Back then, they had, in churches, Pentecostal churches, they usually had an evangelist quarters. And so these guys would travel through, and it wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but they would sleep basically in the church, back in the evangelist quarters back somewhere. 
And you know as well as I do, there's very few things as creepy as a, a church with all the lights out in the middle of the night. You've never slept there before. You hear all the, the weird noises and everything in the night. Well, he, he said this is a 100% true story, and I, I believe him. He said he was sleeping there one night, and he was hearing noises. And he couldn't sleep, and the door opened. And the door, the door opened. He thought that the pastor was there. It was like 2 or 3 in the morning, and he thought maybe there was an emergency. It wasn't the pastor. He said this being walked in, and it was wrapped up kind of like a mummy. It was a demonic spirit. He said when that thing came, um, he, you know, whatever prayed or whatever, and it disappeared, but whatever he did to get it out of his room. But from that point on, he said the church went in disarray. Half of them wanted revival. The other half didn't like the revival, wanted it shut down. It caused it all, all this division in the church, and eventually uh, the people that didn't want the revival won, and he ended up having to leave. And a lot of lies were said about him that weren't true. So years later, the stories about this started coming back to him, and it was verified. That guy that was a Satanist or whatever sent the demon into the church to cause problems and ended up getting rid of that Perry Stone at the time, and it worked. And this was what Perry's point was. He said there were people in that church that had been saved for years. Some of them were quite seasoned in the faith. He said, why didn't these people, why didn't somebody stand up and say amongst all the division and all that was going on, all the lies and all this, why didn't one of these prayer warriors have enough discernment to stand up and say, wait a second, this is an attack of the devil. This is meant to shut down the revival because people are getting saved. Why don't we join together and pray and we bind the enemy and send him running and let's just ask God what God wants to do? He said nobody did that. They just all kept fighting amongst themselves and the, the revival died, he left, all kinds of problems. All, think about it from God's perspective. All because some little demon was sent in there. That's it. That's it. That's all it took. The enemy is invisible, so many don't discern his tactics. They don't realize what's really going on behind the scenes. This is what I'm saying. God, search me, know me, try me, show me anything in me that is not how it needs to be. Take it out of me so that when the times of warfare come, the enemy will have nothing in me to exploit. See, there was obviously something in a lot of people whenever this thing showed up and they started acting out. So we've got to remain very humble quick to forgive, quick to repent. Let some people go from our lives that God has removed. Keep a pure heart, love God, obey him, be faithful. Satan tries to hold us back, though. He tries to make us feel all this guilt and shame about our past. All of us have a lot in our past. But we can't live like that. He also tries to make us afraid of the future looking at it from a fearful perspective. We've got to have faith in God. But Jesus said during times of warfare, 
Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming. I won't speak to you much longer. See, the enemy knows that when he comes, one of his greatest tactics is through people's mouths. And they don't mean to, but the enemy would jump on them and they get real negative, grumbling, complaining. They begin to speak all this negative stuff over their lives, over other people. They don't realize it, but they're giving the enemy like a door with their mouth into their own lives. But all the bickering and fighting and all the stuff that goes on in churches, it goes back to people's mouths. Jesus set the example in times of warfare, let's keep our mouths shut. But at the same time, let's turn to God and make it a point of prayer. And then that will turn the tide. That'll send these demonic things running. But again, out of all of this tonight, the main thing that I want people to take away from it is, please pray this yourself. Because I've seen people come through here that are not doing good out there because the devil jumped on them, attacked them, and they changed. There was undealt with issues in them that something exploited in them. Some of them are away from God. Others have gone through um, unnecessary divorces. Some of them are completely out of the ministry and they have a calling. It's serious. The enemy isn't like playing around here. So my prayer is, Lord, show me enlighten the eyes of my heart. I want to walk in the light as you're in the light. I want you to show me if there's anything in me that's an impure motive, if there's something about me that the devil could try to exploit and pull me this way or that. It could take me out of the will of God. could really hinder my life. Show me, Lord, because so I can repent. I want to know. I want to walk in the light. I don't want any hidden sin. And if we'll humble ourselves and really pray that way, Lord, is there any pride in me? Is there un unhealthy fear, timidity? Am I insecure? That's pride. That's a form of pride. Is there any of that in me? Lord, get this out of me. Forgive me. I repent. Take it out of me. And if we'll let God do that work, I promise you that there's grace in that. God gives grace to the humble. And when God comes, you know, a lot of times people say, why does God come in revival the way he does? And I think about the meetings like in Brownsville or, or Toronto, rather, and, and Rodney Howard Brown meetings and people kind of drunk in the spirit and acting a certain way. And people say, well, I don't know if it's really God. Oh, it, it's God. Oh, yes, it's God. Well, I don't like the way it's this. It, well, that's right, that right there that right there is the problem. It's not God's not the problem. You're the problem. This, you know, why does God come in like that? I don't like the way. You know why he comes in like that, where people look like a fool? is because he is going to deliberately, on purpose, go out of his way to make sure that the pride in you is resisted. He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. The arrogant stick their nose up, look down at it, mock it, and leave, and they miss the move of God. The humble humble themselves and come in and say, I don't care if I look like a fool. I just want what God has for me. God has set it up in revival where only the humble receive, and the, pr the proud miss him every time.
and criticize him. He does it on purpose. And I want to humble myself, say, God, however you want to move, whatever you want to do, just come and move. My heart is, Lord, whatever you want to do, but save the lost, heal the sick, deliver the captives. Let's see, Book of Acts, Christianity, whatever it looks like, I don't care. I've done counting the cost. People want to mock it and leave, miss God, that's fine. But there'll be others that receive. And I'll tell you what, on Judgment Day, there may be all these critics and God mockers and blasphemers and people that make fun and criticize and all of that. But on Judgment Day, there'll be people come up to me and say, hey, Pastor Scott, thank you for not listening to the critics. I'm here today. I got saved because you didn't quit. That's all that's going to matter. I'm, you know. All right, Lord, we thank you for tonight. We bless you. And Lord, I pray that you'll do a work in every one of us. Show us, Lord, if there's anything in us that needs to change, push in and pry it out of us. Show us what we can't see. We don't know what we don't know. Lord, enlighten the eyes of our hearts. Shine your light and show us so that we can repent, we can be ready. On the day of warfare, the enemy won't be able to explode anything in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me know when things are shut down all the way.